Chapter Two of Jungle Tales of Tarzan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Jungle Tales of Tarzan by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Chapter Two The Capture of Tarzan. The black warriors labored in the humid heat of the jungle's stifling shade. With war spears they loosened the thick black loam and the deep layers of rotting vegetation. With heavy nailed fingers they scooped away the disintegrated earth from the center of the age-old game trail. Often they ceased their labors to squat, resting, and gossiping with much laughter at the edge of the pit they were digging. Against the boles of nearby trees leaned their long oval shields of thick buffalo hide and the spears of those who were doing the scooping. Sweat glistened upon their smooth ebon skins, beneath which rolled rounded muscles, supple in the perfection of nature's uncontaminated health. A reed-buck, stepping warily along the trail toward water, halted as a burst of laughter broke upon his startled ears. For a moment he stood statuesque, but for his sensitively dilating nostrils, then he wheeled and fled noiselessly from the terrifying presence of man. A hundred yards away, deep in the tangle of impenetrable jungle, Numa the lion raised his massive head. Numa had dined well until almost daybreak, and it had required much noise to awaken him. Now he lifted his muzzle and sniffed the air, caught the acrid scent spore of the reed buck and the heavy scent of man. But Numa was well filled. With a low, disgusted grunt, he rose and slunk away. Brilliantly plumaged birds with raucous voices darted from tree to tree. Little monkeys, chattering and scolding, swung through the swaying limbs above the black warriors. Yet they were alone, for the teeming jungle with all its myriad life, like the swarming streets of a great metropolis, is one of the loneliest spots in God's great universe. But were they alone? Above them, lightly balanced upon a leafy tree-limb, a gray-eyed youth watched with eager intentness their every move. The fire of hate restrained, smoldered beneath the lad's evident desire to know the purpose of the black men's labors. Such a one as these it was who had slain his beloved Kayla. For them there could be naught but enmity. Yet he liked well to watch them, avid as he was for greater knowledge of the ways of man. He saw the pit grow in depth until a great hole yawned the width of the trail, a hole which was amply large enough to hold at one time all of the six excavators. Tarzan could not guess the purpose of so great a labor, and when they cut long stakes, sharpened at their upper ends, and set them at intervals upright in the bottom of the pit, his wonderment but increased, nor was it satisfied with the placing of the light cross-poles over the pit or the careful arrangement of leaves and earth which completely hid from view the work the black men had performed. When they were done they surveyed their handiwork with evident satisfaction, and Tarzan surveyed it too. Even to his practiced eye there remained scarce a vestige of evidence that the ancient game trail had been tampered with in any way. So absorbed was the ape-man in speculation as to the purpose of the covered pit that he permitted the blacks to depart in the direction of their village without the usual baiting which had rendered him the terror of Mabonga's people and had afforded Tarzan both a vehicle of revenge and a source of inexhaustible delight. 
Puzzle as he would, however, he could not solve the mystery of the concealed pit, for the ways of the blacks were still strange to Tarzan. They had entered his jungle but a short time before, the first of their kind to encroach upon the age-old supremacy of the beasts which laired there. To Numa the lion, to Tantor the elephant, to the great apes and the lesser apes, to each and all of the myriad creatures of this savage wild, the ways of man were new. They had much to learn of these black, hairless creatures that walked erect upon their hind paws, and they were learning it slowly, and always to their sorrow. Shortly after the blacks had departed, Tarzan swung easily to the trail. Sniffing suspiciously, he circled the edge of the pit. Squatting upon his haunches, he scraped away a little earth to expose one of the cross-bars. He sniffed at this, touched it, cocked his head upon one side, and contemplated it gravely for several minutes. Then he carefully recovered it, arranging the earth as neatly as had the blacks. This done, he swung himself back among the branches of the trees, and moved off in search of his hairy fellows, the great apes of the tribe of Kerchak. Once he crossed the trail of Numa the lion, pausing for a moment to hurl a soft fruit at the snarling face of his enemy, and to taunt and insult him, calling him eater of carrion and brother of Dango the hyena. Numa, his yellow-green eyes round and burning with concentrated hate, glared up at the dancing figure above him. Low growls vibrated his heavy jowls, and his great rage transmitted to his sinuous tail a sharp, whip-like motion. But realizing from past experiences the futility of long-distance argument with the ape-man, he turned presently and struck off into the tangled vegetation which hid him from the view of his tormentor. With a final scream of jungle invective and an ape-like grimace at his departing foe, Tarzan continued along his way. Another mile and a shifting wind brought to his keen nostrils a familiar pungent odor close at hand, and a moment later there loomed beneath him a huge gray-black bulk forging steadily along the jungle trail. Tarzan seized and broke a small limb, and at the sudden cracking sound the ponderous figure halted. Great ears were thrown forward, and a long, supple trunk rose quickly to wave to and fro in search of the scent of an enemy, while two weak little eyes peered suspiciously and futilely about in quest of the author of the noise which had disturbed his peaceful way. Tarzan laughed aloud and came closer above the head of the pachyderm. "'Tantor! Tantor!' he cried. Bara the deer is less fearful than you, you, Tantor the elephant, greatest of the jungle folk, with the strength of as many numas as I have toes upon my feet and fingers upon my hands. Tantor, who can uproot great trees, trembles with fear at the sound of a broken twig, a rumbling noise which might have been either a sign of contempt or a sigh of relief was tantor's only reply as the uplifted trunk and ears came down and the beast's tail dropped to normal but his eyes still roved about in search of tarzan he was not long kept in suspense however as to the whereabouts of the ape-man for a second later the youth dropped lightly to the broad head of his old friend then, stretching himself at full length, he drummed with his bare toes upon the thick hide, and as his fingers scratched the more tender surfaces beneath the great ears, 
He talked to Tantor of the gossip of the jungle, as though the great beast understood every word that he said. Much there was which Tarzan could make Tantor understand, and though the small talk of the wild was beyond the great gray dreadnought of the jungle, he stood with blinking eyes and gently swaying trunk, as though drinking in every word of it with keenest appreciation. As a matter of fact, it was the pleasant, friendly voice and caressing hands behind his ears which he enjoyed, and the close proximity of him whom he had often borne upon his back since Tarzan, as a little child, had once fearlessly approached the great bull, assuming upon the part of the pachyderm the same friendliness which filled his own heart. In the years of their association, Tarzan had discovered that he possessed an inexplicable power to govern and direct his mighty friend. At his bidding, Tantor would come from a great distance, as far as his keen ears could detect the shrill and piercing summons of the ape-man, and when Tarzan was squatted upon his head, Tantor would lumber through the jungle in any direction which his rider bade him go. It was the power of the man-mind over that of the brute, and it was just as effective as though both fully understood its origin, though neither did. For half an hour Tarzan sprawled there upon Tantor's back. Time had no meaning for either of them. Life, as they saw it, consisted principally in keeping their stomachs filled. To Tarzan this was a less arduous labor than to Tantor, for Tarzan's stomach was smaller, and being omnivorous, food was less difficult to obtain. If one sort did not come readily to hand, there were always many others to satisfy his hunger. He was less particular as to his diet than Tantor, who would eat only the bark of certain trees and the wood of others, while a third appealed to him only through its leaves, and these perhaps just at certain seasons of the year. Tantor must needs spend the better part of his life in filling his immense stomach against the needs of his mighty thews. It is thus with all the lower orders. Their lives are so occupied either with searching for food or with the processes of digestion that they have little time for other considerations. Doubtless it is this handicap which has kept them from advancing as rapidly as man, who has more time to give to thought upon other matters. However, these questions troubled Tarzan but little, and Tantor not at all. What the former knew was that he was happy in the companionship of the elephant. He did not know why. He did not know that because he was a human being, a normal, healthy human being, he craved some living thing upon which to lavish his affection. His childhood playmates among the apes of Kerchak were now great, sullen brutes. They felt, nor inspired, but little affection. The younger apes Tarzan still played with occasionally. In his savage way he loved them, but they were far from satisfying or restful companions. Tantor was a great mountain of calm, of poise, of stability. It was restful and satisfying to sprawl upon his rough pate and pour one's vague hopes and aspirations into the great ears which flapped ponderously to and fro in apparent understanding. Of all the jungle folk, Tantor commanded Tarzan's greatest love since Kayla had been taken from him. Sometimes Tarzan wondered if Tantor reciprocated his affection. It was difficult to know. It was the call of the stomach, the most compelling and insistent call which the jungle knows, that took Tarzan finally back to the trees and off in search of food, 
while Tantor continued his interrupted journey in the opposite direction. For an hour the ape-man foraged. A lofty nest yielded its fresh, warm harvest. Fruits, berries, and tender plantain found a place upon his menu in the order that he happened upon them, for he did not seek such foods. Meat, meat, meat. It was always meat that Tarzan of the apes hunted, but sometimes meat eluded him, as today. And as he roamed the jungle, his active mind busied itself not alone with his hunting, but with many other subjects. He had a habit of recalling often the events of the preceding days and hours. He lived over his visit with Tantor. He cogitated upon the digging blacks and the strange covered pit they had left behind them. He wondered again and again what its purpose might be. He compared perceptions and arrived at judgments. He compared judgments, reaching conclusions. Not always correct ones, it is true, but at least he used his brain for the purpose God intended it, which was the less difficult because he was not handicapped by the second-hand and usually erroneous judgment of others. And as he puzzled over the covered pit, there loomed suddenly before his mental vision a huge gray-black bulk which lumbered ponderously along a jungle trail. Instantly Tarzan tensed to the shock of sudden fear. Decision and action usually occurred simultaneously in the life of the ape-man, and now he was away through the leafy branches ere the realization of the pit's purpose had scarce formed in his mind. Swinging from swaying limb to swaying limb, he raced through the middle terraces where the trees grew close together. Again he dropped to the ground and sped silently and light of foot over the carpet of decaying vegetation, only to leap again into the trees where the tangled undergrowth precluded rapid advance upon the surface. In his anxiety he cast discretion to the winds. The caution of the beast was lost in the loyalty of the man, and so it came that he entered a large clearing denuded of trees, without a thought of what might lie there, or upon the farther edge to dispute the way with him. He was halfway across when directly in his path, and but a few yards away, there rose from a clump of tall grasses a half-dozen chattering birds. Instantly Tarzan turned aside, for he knew well enough what manner of creature the presence of these little sentinels proclaimed. Simultaneously Buto, the rhinoceros, scrambled to his short legs and charged furiously. Haphazard charges Buto, the rhinoceros. With his weak eyes he sees but poorly even at short distances, and whether his erratic rushes are due to the panic of fear as he attempts to escape, or to the irascible temper with which he is generally credited, it is difficult to determine. Nor is the matter of little moment to one whom Buto charges, for if he be caught and tossed, the chances are that naught will interest him thereafter. And today it chanced that Buto bore down straight upon Tarzan, across the few yards of knee-deep grass which separated them. Accident started him in the direction of the ape-man, and then his weak eyes discerned the enemy, and with a series of snorts he charged straight for him. The little rhino-birds fluttered and circled about their giant ward. Among the branches of the trees, at the edge of the clearing, a score or more monkeys chattered and scolded as the loud snorts of the angry beast sent them scurrying affrightedly to the upper terraces. Tarzan alone appeared indifferent and serene. Directly in the path of the charge he stood, there had been no time to seek safety in the trees beyond the clearing, nor had Tarzan any mind to delay his journey because of Buto. He had met the stupid beast before, and held him in fine contempt. 
and now Buto was upon him. The massive head lowered, and the long, heavy horn inclined for the frightful work for which nature had designed it. But as he struck upward, his weapon raked only thin air, for the ape-man had sprung lightly aloft with a cat-like leap that carried him above the threatening horn to the broad back of the rhinoceros. Another spring, and he was on the ground behind the brute, and racing like a deer for the trees. Buto, angered and mystified by the strange disappearance of his prey, wheeled and charged frantically in another direction, which chanced to be not the direction of Tarzan's flight, and so the ape-man came in safety to the trees and continued on his swift way through the forest. Some distance ahead of him Tantor moved steadily along the well-worn elephant trail, and ahead of Tantor a crouching black warrior listened intently in the middle of the path. Presently he heard the sound for which he had been hoping, the cracking, snapping sound which heralded the approach of an elephant. To his right and left, in other parts of the jungle, other warriors were watching. A low signal passed from one to another, apprised the most distant that the quarry was afoot. Rapidly they converged toward the trail, taking positions in trees downwind from the point at which Tantor must pass them. Silently they waited, and presently they were rewarded by the sight of a mighty tusker carrying an amount of ivory in his long tusks that set their greedy hearts to palpitating. No sooner had he passed their positions than the warriors clamored from their perches. No longer were they silent, but instead clapped their hands and shouted as they reached the ground. For an instant Tantor the elephant paused with upraised trunk and tail, with great ears uppricked, and then he swung on along the trail at a rapid shuffling pace, straight toward the covered pit with its sharpened stakes upstanding in the ground. Behind him came the yelling warriors, urging him on in the rapid flight which would not permit a careful examination of the ground before him. Tantor the elephant, who could have turned and scattered his adversaries with a single charge, fled like a frightened deer, fled toward a hideous, torturing death, and behind them all came Tarzan of the apes, racing through the jungle forest with the speed and agility of a squirrel, for he had heard the shouts of the warriors and had interpreted them correctly. Once he uttered a piercing call that reverberated through the jungle, but Tantor, in the panic of terror, either failed to hear, or hearing, dared not pause to heed. Now the giant pachyderm was but a few yards from the hidden death lurking in his path, and the blacks, certain of success, were screaming and dancing in his wake, waving their war-spears and celebrating in advance the acquisition of the splendid ivory carried by their prey, and the surfeit of elephant meat which would be theirs this night. So intent were they upon their gratulations that they entirely failed to note the silent passage of the man-beast above their heads, nor did Tantor either see or hear him, even though Tarzan called to him to stop. A few more steps would precipitate Tantor upon the sharpened stakes. Tarzan fairly flew through the trees until he had come abreast of the fleeing animal, and then had passed him. At the pit's verge the ape-man dropped to the ground in the center of the trail. Tantor was almost upon him before his weak eyes permitted him to recognize his old friend. "'Stop!' cried Tarzan, and the great beast halted to the upraised hand. Tarzan turned and kicked aside some of the brush which hid the pit. Instantly Tantor saw and understood. "'Fight!' growled Tarzan. "'They are coming behind you.' But Tantor the elephant is a huge bunch of nerves, and now he was half panic-stricken by terror. Before him yawned the pit, how far he did not know, but to right and left lay the primeval jungle untouched by man. 
With a squeal the great beast turned suddenly at right angles and burst his noisy way through the solid wall of matted vegetation that would have stopped any but him. Tarzan, standing upon the edge of the pit, smiled as he watched Tantor's undignified flight. Soon the blacks would come. It was best that Tarzan of the apes faded from the scene. He essayed a step from the pit's edge, and as he threw the weight of his body upon his left foot, the earth crumbled away. Tarzan made a single Herculean effort to throw himself forward, but it was too late. Backward and downward he went toward the sharpened stakes in the bottom of the pit. When a moment later the blacks came, they saw even from a distance that Tantor had eluded them, for the size of the hole in the pit covering was too small to have accommodated the huge bulk of an elephant. At first they thought that their prey had put one great foot through the top, and then, warned, drawn back. But when they had come to the pit's verge and peered over, their eyes went wide in astonishment, for quiet and still at the bottom lay the naked figure of a white giant. Some of them there had glimpsed this forest god before, and they drew back in terror, hawed by the presence which they had for some time believed to possess the miraculous powers of a demon. But others there were who pushed forward, thinking only of the capture of an enemy, and these leaped into the pit and lifted Tarzan out. There was no scar upon his body. None of the sharpened stakes had pierced him. Only a swollen spot at the base of the brain indicated the nature of his injury. In the falling backward, his head had struck upon the side of one of the stakes, rendering him unconscious. The blacks were quick to discover this, and equally quick to bind their prisoner's arms and legs before he should regain consciousness, for they had learned to harbor a wholesome respect for this strange man-beast that consorted with the hairy tree-folk. They had carried him but a short distance toward their village, when the ape-man's eyelids quivered and raised. He looked about him wonderingly for a moment, and then full consciousness returned, and he realized the seriousness of his predicament. Accustomed almost from birth to relying solely upon his own resources, he did not cast about for outside aid now, but devoted his mind to a consideration of the possibilities for escape which lay within himself and his own powers. He did not dare test the strength of his bonds while the blacks were carrying him, for fear they would become apprehensive and add to them. Presently his captors discovered that he was conscious, and as they had little stomach for carrying a heavy man through the jungle heat, they set him upon his feet and forced him forward among them, pricking him now and then with their spears, yet with every manifestation of the superstitious awe in which they held him. When they discovered that their prodding brought no outward evidence of suffering, their awe increased, so that they soon desisted, half believing that this strange white giant was a supernatural being, and so was immune from pain. As they approached their village, they shouted aloud the victorious cries of successful warriors, so that by the time they reached the gate, dancing and waving their spears, a great crowd of men, women, and children were gathered there to greet them and hear the story of their adventure. As the eyes of the villagers fell upon the prisoner, they went wild, and heavy jaws fell open in astonishment and incredulity. For months they had lived in perpetual terror of a weird white demon whom but few had ever glimpsed and lived to describe. Warriors had disappeared from the paths almost within sight of the village, and from the midst of their companions as mysteriously and completely as though they had been swallowed by the earth, and later at night their dead bodies had fallen as from the heavens into the village street. 
this fearsome creature had appeared by night in the huts of the village killed and disappeared leaving behind him in the huts with his dead strange and terrifying evidences of an uncanny sense of humor but now he was in their power no longer could he terrorize them slowly the realization of this dawned upon them a woman screaming ran forward and struck the ape-man across the face another and another followed her example until tarzan of the apes was surrounded by a fighting clawing yelling mob of natives and then mbonga the chief came and laying his spear heavily across the shoulders of his people drove them from their prey we will save him until night he said far out in the jungle tantor the elephant his first panic of fear allayed stood with uppricked ears and undulating trunk what was passing through the convolutions of his savage brain could he be searching for tarzan could he recall and measure the service the ape-man had performed for him of that there can be no doubt but did he feel gratitude would he have risked his own life to have saved tarzan could he have known of the danger which confronted his friend you will doubt it anyone at all familiar with elephants will doubt it englishmen who have hunted much with elephants in india will tell you that they never have heard of an instance in which one of these animals has gone to the aid of a man in danger even though the man had often befriended it and so it is to be doubted that tantor would have attempted to overcome his instinctive fear of the black man in an effort to succor tarzan the screams of the infuriated villagers came faintly to his sensitive ears and he wheeled as though in terror contemplating flight but something stayed him and again he turned about raised his trunk and gave a voice to a shrill cry then he stood listening in the distant village where mbonga had restored quiet and order the voice of tantor was scarcely audible to the blacks but to the keen ears of tarzan of the apes it bore its message his captors were leading him to a hut where he might be confined and guarded against the coming of the nocturnal orgy that would mark his torture-laden death he halted as he heard the notes of tantor's call and raising his head gave vent to a terrifying scream and sent cold chills through the superstitious blacks and caused the warriors who guarded him to leap back even though their prisoner's arms were securely bound behind him with raised spears they encircled him as for a moment longer he stood listening faintly from the distance came another an answering cry and tarzan of the apes satisfied turned and quietly pursued his way toward the hut where he was to be imprisoned the afternoon wore on from the surrounding village the ape-man heard the bustle of preparation for the feast through the doorway of the hut he saw the women laying the cooking fires and filling their earthen cauldrons with water but above it all his ears were bent across the jungle in eager listening for the coming of tantor even tarzan but half believed that he would come he knew tantor even better than tantor knew himself he knew the timid heart which lay in the giant body he knew the panic of terror which the scent of the gomangani inspired within that savage breast and as night drew on hope died within his heart and in the stoic calm of the wild beast which he was he resigned himself to meet the fate which awaited him all afternoon he had been working 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 with the bonds that held his wrists very slowly they were giving he might free his hands before they came to lead him out to be butchered and if he did tarzan licked his lips in anticipation and smiled a cold grim smile 
He could imagine the feel of soft flesh beneath his fingers and the sinking of his white teeth into the throats of his foemen. He would let them taste his wrath before they overpowered him. At last they came, painted, befeathered warriors, even more hideous than nature had intended them. They came and pushed him into the open, where his appearance was greeted by wild shouts from the assembled villagers. To the stake they led him, and as they pushed him roughly against it, preparatory to binding him there securely for the dance of death that would presently encircle him, Tarzan tensed his mighty thews, and with a single powerful wrench parted the loosened thongs which had secured his hands. Like thought for quickness, he leaped forward among the warriors nearest him. A blow sent one to earth, as growling and snarling the beast-man leaped upon the breast of another. His fangs were buried instantly in the jugular of his adversary, and then half a hundred black men had leaped upon him and borne him to earth. Striking, clawing, and snapping, the ape-man fought, fought as his foster people had taught him to fight, fought like a wild beast cornered. His strength, his agility, his courage, and his intelligence rendered him easily a match for half a dozen black men in a hand-to-hand -hand struggle, but not even Tarzan of the Apes could hope to successfully cope with half a hundred. Slowly they were overpowering him, though a score of them bled from ugly wounds and two lay very still beneath the trampling feet and the rolling bodies of the contestants. Overpower him they might, but could they keep him overpowered while they bound him? A half-hour of desperate endeavor convinced them that they could not, and so Mabonga, who, like all good rulers, had circled in the safety of the background, called to one to work his way in and spear the victim. Gradually, through the milling, battling men, the warrior approached the object of his quest. He stood with poised spear above his head, waiting for the instant that would expose a vulnerable part of the ape-man's body, and still not in danger one of the blacks. Closer and closer he edged about, following the movements of the twisting, scuffling combatants. The growls of the ape-man sent cold chills up the warrior's spine, causing him to go carefully lest he miss at the first cast and lay himself open to an attack from those merciless teeth and mighty hands. At last he found an opening. Higher he raised his spear, tensing his muscles rolling beneath his glistening ebon hide, and then from the jungle, just beyond the palisade came a thunderous crashing. The spear-hand paused. The black cast a quick glance in the direction of the disturbance, as did the others of the blacks who were not occupied with the subjugation of the ape-man. In the glare of the fires they saw a huge bulk topping the barrier. They saw the palisade belly and sway inward. They saw it burst as though built of straws, and an instant later Tantor the elephant thundered down upon them. To right and left the blacks fled, screaming in terror. Some who hovered upon the verge of the strife with Tarzan heard and made good their escape, but a half a dozen there were so wrapped in the blood-madness of battle that they failed to note the approach of the giant tusker. Upon these Tantor charged, trumpeting furiously. Above them he stopped, his sensitive trunk weaving among them, and there at the bottom he found Tarzan, bloody but still battling. A warrior turned his eyes upward from the melee. Above him towered the gigantic bulk of the pachyderm, the little eyes flashing with the reflected light of the fires, wicked, frightful, terrifying. The warrior screamed, and as he screamed the sinuous trunk encircled him, lifted him high above the ground, and hurled him far after the fleeing crowd. 
another and another tantor wrenched from the body of the ape-man throwing them to right and to left where they lay either moaning or very quiet as death came slowly or at once at a distance mbonga rallied his warriors his greedy eyes had noted the great ivory tusks of the bull the first panic of terror relieved he urged his men forward to attack with their heavy elephant spears but as they came tantor swung tarzan to his broad head and wheeling lumbered off into the jungle through the great rent he had made in the palisade elephant hunters may be right when they aver that this animal would not have rendered such service to a man but to tantor tarzan was not a man he was but a fellow jungle beast and so it was that tantor the elephant discharged an obligation to tarzan of the apes cementing even more closely the friendship that had existed between them since tarzan as a little brown boy rode upon tantor's huge back through the moonlit jungle beneath the equatorial stars End of chapter two